This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, March 6th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the legislature considers community college funding. Then, with the primaries approaching, we hear from Secretary of State Michael Watson regarding election security. And the latest Mason-Dixon Mississippi poll breaks down how the two Democrat frontrunners match up against President Trump. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's 15 community and junior colleges are requesting $212 million from the legislature. That's 10% more than the current budget. Faculty at Mississippi Community Colleges say they haven't had a state-funded raise in 12 years. Marilyn Ford is with the state's Faculty Association for Community and Junior Colleges. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the current funding does not reflect the faculty workload. Currently, we are funded at only seven cents of every educational dollar spent in our state. However, we're constantly being tasked to do more with less, and there is just a a need for the funding if we are able to, or if we're able to continue to sustain the good work that we're doing. What is the main issue for community colleges right now? Um, There has been an issue of decreased enrollment throughout the state primarily because of a decreased population. There are just not as many young folk to attend college as there were 10 years ago. Community colleges also suffer in enrollment when economic times are good, when folks have jobs to go to, and when the employment rate or the unemployment rate is low, we lose students because fortunately folks are working. Um, So the things that we face now are lower enrollment, so less funding, but yet we're still taking on the mantra or taking on the mantle of dual enrollment and educating those kids. Uh, My campus was one of the first or was the first to have an early college high school on our campus. So while we're trying to accelerate these young folk into good jobs and potentially transferring to a university, again, we're also being so terribly underfunded. Workforce development is uh, a big issue now, and there's legislation to even bring more workforce development to community colleges. Your thoughts on that? I think we're all in workforce development. Even though I'm an academic instructor and I'm not directly involved with career technical programs, those kiddos still come through our English classes, through our math classes. And I think we're all in the business of workforce development, whether that young person is taking a career tech uh, program 
or matriculating on to a university, eventually, obviously, these kids are wanting jobs. So while we typically think of workforce development as our two-year programs that put those kids straight into a vocation, most of us are of the general consensus that we're, we're all involved in workforce development because we're training these young folk all, no matter what avenue they take, to enter the workforce. And I understand that um, you're losing faculty uh, because of salaries. Yes, ma'am. It's difficult to keep up with our university counterparts or even our K-12 through peers because of the lower salary. Uh, Not only are we losing faculty that way, but there have been in the last five to six years community colleges who have had to have a reduction in force. Marilyn Ford is the president of the state's Faculty Association for Community and Junior Colleges. Democrat Gregory Holloway serves on the House Colleges and University Committee. He says community colleges' faculty salaries should reflect a midpoint between K-12 education and senior universities. Community colleges, uh, they're a vital part of of, uh, the state and certainly those communities that have community colleges. And I have one in my county. We're very proud of the Pye Lincoln Community College and uh, and the the work that they do. Uh, I I believe that they deserve more. Uh, They do a great job in in, uh, preparing uh, kids for technical fields and also preparing them to go to uh, senior colleges and uh, and it's very difficult for them to maintain uh, qualified faculty uh, and staff. Uh, they really need we really need to fund um, them in a way that puts them right between high school and 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 senior colleges and what they call midpoint. And I think they should be right there. I think they should be higher paid higher uh, than. Uh, than high school um, employees, faculty and staff, and maybe not quite as much in certain instances as IHL, but I do believe that they deserve uh, that midpoint pay that they're asking for. I'm, I'm in 100% support of that. They're also concerned about being able to address the demands of the needs for workforce development and the need for more funding to be able to provide uh, the type of uh, facilities that are needed and to keep up. They also need uh, facilities as well. I mean, everything should be uh, where they can compete uh, with other community colleges, not uh, within the state of Mississippi, but across uh, the nation and provide the same services and turn out the same quality students as uh, other community colleges do. And t- in order to do that, you have to have the facilities and you have to be funded well enough for them to um, achieve uh, that mission. And so I'm, I'm in full support of, of facilities, um, uh, you know, more pay for faculty and staff, and community colleges are just invaluable to our communities, and we got to do better by our community colleges, and I support wholeheartedly what they're trying to do. Uh, Mississippi is credited with having good community colleges, but how is it that they've begun to lag behind? Well, I think uh, it, just had, it just hadn't been a priority uh, 
for the leadership in the legislature. I mean, to, you have to make it a priority, just like you have to make K through 12 a priority uh, and uh, IHL a priority uh, and other um, uh, agencies a priority. You just have to make uh, uh, community colleges uh, one of your number one priorities, and you have to stick with it and fund it and show them that we really appreciate them and we're not just talking and talk, that we're walking the walk as well. Do you think that's going to happen this session? I believe that uh, with uh, additional revenue coming into the state, I believe that this session will be more favorable for community colleges. They've been asking, and they've done so much with so little, that it's time for us to show them that we appreciate them um, and show them how uh, how how vital they are to the community and to the state by making uh, community colleges a priority. Representative Holloway, we appreciate your time in speaking with us about these issues. Thank you. Yes. And Representative Gregory Holloway is a Democrat from Hazelhurst. Coming up, with the primaries approaching, we hear from Secretary of State Michael Watson regarding election security. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's primary elections are on March 10th. There are contested races for both parties in Mississippi's second and third congressional districts and a packed Republican field in the Republican primary for Mississippi's fourth district. In the race for Senate, Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith is uncontested while three hopeful challengers are on the Democratic ballot. While the parties are responsible for primary elections, Secretary of State Michael Watson has been traveling throughout the state to help local officials prepare. He tells our Kobe Vance that aside from discussing protocol and procedures, his office is maintaining relationships with the FBI and DHS to ensure election security through the fall. We made a commitment early on uh, to meet with all of our circuit clerks and all of our elections commissioners, or as many as we could, and, and talk to them about the process as they see it. I uh, talked about, you know, uh, what do you see on the ground on the front lines every day? Uh, I think it helps me to be a better Secretary of State to understand what they're seeing uh, and then how we can work together to make it even better for them uh, to, to continue to pre- protect the vote and uh, the elections process here in Mississippi. Uh, so we've talked about the tour and kind of the things that I've been learning about uh, the HAVA dollars, which are the Help America Vote Act dollars uh, that, that we get from federal government. Uh, we've got about $6 million this year. A million of that is a state match, so we're getting just over $5 million from the federal government. Uh, so we talked about some of the plans that the counties have uh, to use those dollars. Uh, we talked about the absentee voting process. We talked about the uh, federal lawsuits that are out there right now. Uh, so that was kind of the elections piece. Could you talk a little bit about concerns about security over the election coming up in November? Yeah, Absolutely. 
Uh, a great question and very timely, obviously, uh, with our March 10th primary coming up. Um, what we have looked at across the board is growing these relationships uh, with the FBI, with the DHS, uh, with the National Guard, with our local law enforcement individuals. Uh, we've got a very secure process in the Secretary of State's office uh, where you know, we, we monitor the attacks on our system daily, uh, and they are, they are multiple, and they are often, uh, but thank goodness, uh, we've not been breached. Uh, we've had a, a really good protective system in place. Uh, and then growing those relationships, um, you know, I've spoken with secretaries of state uh, from around the country. Uh, and typically what we see is when, when something happens in Ohio or Louisiana or you know, wherever, typically it's going to move to another state. Uh, so having that heads up, hey, look out, this is coming. Uh, and being prepared on the front end is very important. Uh, but also, uh, you, you've heard this national conversation uh, about moving to paper ballots and away from the DRE machines. Um, we did a uh, post-election audit on our machines, uh, a precinct from every uh, county in 2018 in the federal election, and uh, passed with flying colors. Uh, so I want people to understand and know uh, n- not only is your data protected at the Secretary of State's office, uh, but our machines uh, and our audits have come back clean. Uh, so it's uh, trust, the, trust the system as is. Uh, but we're going to continue moving forward and making it better. Uh, so I just want Mississippians to know their vote is counting and their voice is important to us. Uh, so please get out and vote on March 10th. And uh, if you can't vote then, then obviously absentee voting is, is ready to roll right now. So you can go to your clerk's office and vote or you can vote in absentee by mail. Uh, in the clerk's office, the deadline is March 7th at noon, uh, and the mail is March 9th at 5 p.m. So uh, just to want to remind our Mississippians, your voice is important. Make sure that you're getting out to vote. I know you've went, on, you've went around and talked with all 82 counties, and you've uh, had to sit down with those, uh, those clerks around the area. Um, what kind of conversations are you having with them about the paper ballots and why they should uh, potentially turn to those? One of the things that I've stressed to them is, as a conservative, um, I'm, I'm for local control. And I'm not going to be the Secretary of State that tells them this is what you have to do or this is what you have to buy or this is the direction in which you need to go. Uh, I'm going to listen to them. I think there is a consensus building amongst our counties. Uh, and, and let me just say roughly 40 percent of uh, electors already vote by paper ballot. Uh, so we are getting there. Uh, and uh, with this have a dollars that have, this last round of have a dollars that have come down, I think you're going to see a lot of counties use those dollars to move towards this paper ballot system. Uh, so, again, it's a conversation that's being had, uh, and one of the things that we want to focus on with these have dollars is if enough counties come to the uh, consensus and the uh, agreement that says, look, we want to move in this direction, then possibly uh, we could make a bulk purchase at the state level and save some money with lower pricing and then transfer those uh, that property down to the county. So uh, it, it's a good conversation that's being had, and it's the approach that we should take uh, with everything, really. Uh, talk to the folks on the ground that are seeing it first and the most and then understand what they want, what they need, and how we can better serve them. So uh, we're getting there. Thank you so much for your time. Michael Watson is the Secretary of State. Coming up, the latest Mason-Dixon Mississippi poll breaks down how the two Democrat frontrunners match up against President Trump. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When your kids are too young to drive, they still have to get places, lots of places. So you spend lots of time in your car or SUV driving them to those places. Thank goodness for MPB Think Radio. While you're waiting in the pickup and drop-off line with the Trillizillion other parents, you have fresh air, Southern Remedy, Morning Edition, Everyday Tech, and a host of other MPB programs to keep you company. Go to mpbonline.org to find out what's on and when. You take care of the kids, we'll take care of you at MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health 
and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Democratic primary race for president is down to three active campaigns. Vice President Joe Biden, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, and Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Ahead of the March 10th voting day, Mason-Dixon polling and strategy surveyed Mississippians on potential general election matchups between Republican incumbent Donald Trump and the two frontrunners in the Democratic race. Brad Coker is with the Mason-Dixon poll. He tells our Michael Guidry no matter the outcome of the March 10th primary, the state is projected to remain firmly red. I think Mississippi is uh, uh, solidly in the red column right now and doesn't look like there's going to be any shift there. Uh, we matched uh, President Trump up against both uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Um, against Biden, Trump got 56 percent of the vote compared to 41 percent for Biden, only 3 percent undecided. And against uh, Sanders, Trump got 59 Sanders got 36, and 5% were undecided. So uh, 15-point lead over Biden, uh, a better-than-20 point lead over Sanders. And given that, I don't see the, either one of them, if they're the nominee, investing a lot of time and money in Mississippi. So uh, I think uh, unless something really strange happens, uh, I don't think it's uh, – uh, too wild to say that uh, Mississippi is going to stay with Trump in uh, this, uh, you know, this November. Looking at the numbers a little, a little deeper, because we have the primary coming up. When you look on the, part, the party identification, when you ask about party identification, there's a there's a ten point difference between Democrats between supporting Biden and supporting Sanders. Uh, mm-hmm. Biden polls at 89 percent of Democrats, where Sanders only re- only polls at 79 percent of Democrats. How does that compare to Democratic polling regionally? I've seen this in a couple of other southern states, Virginia, Florida, Alabama, that I've done within the last couple of months. And, you, and you're seeing it play out right now in uh, all of the maneuvering that's going on. You know, there was this sudden fear that Bernie Sanders might get the nomination, and then all of a sudden Klobuchar drops out, Buttigieg drops out, Bloomberg drops out. They all go to Biden. Um, So, you know, there is a little bit of a gap between uh, what I would call the uh, sort of the core mainstream uh, part of the Democratic Party and Bernie Sanders. There are still, you know, a pretty sizable number of Democratic voters who uh, uh, are scared of him. The Democrats are really dependent upon um, the African-American vote, this this race, and, uh, and the youth vote in a lot of ways. And we've seen at least Sanders making it a point to um, really try to engage the youth vote. However, in Mississippi, um, I mean, you break your poll down into under 50 and over 50. But the president's pretty solid, um, you know, polling above 50 percent with both demographics. How does that compare regionally? Uh, 
again, it's not that different uh, from from you know at least states that are um, you know more rural southern states, deep south states. Uh, maybe you know, it's different than say in a state like Florida or maybe a state like Virginia. But you know, just because voters are under a certain age doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they're all the same. You know, there are younger voters in Mississippi who are very different than younger voters in New York City. So you know, it, it's kind of a sweeping sweeping statement uh, to try to lump them all together. It probably has more to do uh, with, you know, background, uh, education level, uh, you know, the type of job that, that, a, that a young person has. And, uh, you know, there are probably more, uh, on average, there's probably more sort of high-tech uh, young people working in places like uh, you know Silicon Valley and uh, the Research Triangle in North Carolina than there are say in you know metropolitan areas of Mississippi just on a proportional basis. So you know it's a more rural state. Probably there are a higher percentage of younger voters that you know work blue collar. Uh, you know they're not working desk jobs, and so that all comes into play. You know I suspect that you know the Democratic nominee is going to get you know roughly ninety percent of the black vote. Uh, but is that 90% of, you know, 10 million votes, or is it 90% of 90 million votes, or 9 million votes? I mean, that's a big difference. So you can get the percentage, but if you don't get the numbers, uh, the percentage doesn't mean a whole lot. So, you know, these percentages tell us what the groups are going to do. What it can't tell us is exactly how they're going to turn out, because, you, you just can't predict exactly who's going to come up on election day. All right. And anything that um, from your most recent poll that I haven't asked you about that you think is worth noting? Well, I do get a, you know, this is, this is, again, I don't know if this really is germane or not, but I've been polling in, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, and other parts of the Deep South over the last couple of months. And, you know, I, I, I kind of get a chuckle because I, I hear different uh, pundits and prognosticators claiming that, you know, Trump is going to get 20% of the black vote. Uh, I think one pollster said he was going to get 33% of the black vote. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at rural southern states where black voters are probably a little more culturally conservative than they are in other parts of the country. And, uh, no, Donald Trump's, you know, he's 8 to 10%, which is kind of where he was uh, four years ago. And I don't see any evidence that, uh, you know, black voters are moving in mass towards Trump. Um, you know, his approval rating is 9% among black voters in Mississippi. So that just doesn't translate to, you know, a huge breakthrough. Uh, a couple points improvement, perhaps, but uh, some of the numbers they're throwing out there, are, uh, you know, are, are crazy town uh, in, in in terms of you know reality. Um, Trump might get it up towards you know 13 or maybe 14 if he really really you know connects. But uh, black voters are still very 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 loyal Democrats, and you're going to see you're going to see in Mississippi in the primary. Biden's going to it's going to be just like Alabama. Biden's going to win by a huge margin, and it's going to be all you know 90 percent support from black voters uh, in the primary, and they cast a majority of the votes now in a Democratic primary. So Sanders is. It'll be curious to see if Sanders even breaks the 15 percent threshold to get a couple of delegates. Brad Coker, managing director of Mason Dixon Polling and Strategy. Uh, thank you for for sharing some of that insight, Brad. We appreciate it. Yep, enjoyed it myself. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. 
Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio. 